Markets Conversation is a new IAM podcast where we discuss topics of importance to capital markets participants with product owners, subject matter experts, and industry leaders. Nothing is static. Everything's dynamic. Jobs are dynamic. Roles are dynamic. And I think you have to be yourself dynamic as well. You have to constantly learn new skill sets to, to stay within the market, to stay relevant. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Markets Conversation. I'm Ali Curry. On today's episode, we'll discuss a couple of modern challenges to foreign exchange traders, exchanges, and their software, specifically centralized liquidity and fragmented APIs. We'll explore why these challenges are happening and how firms can best manage them. Our guest today is Eugene Markman from the Foreign Exchange Markets Division at ION. We'll discuss issues such as low latency that results from centralized liquidity pools and why API fragmentation has proliferated in the market. Let's get started. Eugene Markman, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thanks, Ali. Really excited to be here. Well, I'm really glad you're here as well. Before we get to the conversation, let's learn a little bit more about you. So have you been in fintech your whole career? Actually, no. Um, at a college, I went to work for a bank. So my my career started off in banking um, and then, you know, focusing it on, on trading. And one thing that I quickly learned was that technology was starting to drive how trading was happening at, at Credit Suisse. Overall, it was becoming more and more difficult to make money trading because of market conditions, because of regulation. And what I saw as a good way to transition and take what I learned by working on a desk is to go to FinTech and apply it there and work in the same market, just from a different direction. So that's how I transitioned to FinTech about 10 years ago. I went from Credit Suisse working in interest rate products to Market Factory, which was a startup at the time. And we were specifically focused on building feed handlers for FX. All right, so let's get started. Let's start with big shifts in the fintech world. Let's talk about centralized liquidity. And for a little bit of context, a couple of years back, two of the primary markets in FX, as you know, were consolidated. One of them, EBS, getting its technology converted to the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. So what kind of challenges does that centralized liquidity create? I think there's two ways to look at this. Number one, we have consolidation right, and centralization at a company level. So companies are acquiring other companies, as we saw with EBS and the, and the CME, uh, London Stock Exchange and Reuters. But in reality, they're still running multiple platforms. It doesn't necessarily mean that liquidity is being centralized from a liquidity pool point of view. It's just the ownership of that liquidity pool is being centralized. So, so the impact to users and traders is slightly different as if it was truly, truly centralized. The centralization, it really means that there's a lot of changes that's, that's happening, right? So um, in every acquisition, uh, everybody's looking for efficiency or they believe that their model is the better way to, to, to run uh, such business, right? So what we're seeing here is looking at EBS as our first use case is that EBS was migrated off their old platform 
and put on CME's technology, right? Changing their model completely. So previously, EBS would run three matching engines. One was in New York, one was in London, one was in Tokyo. They would match clients locally, but then also have the ability to match within each region as well. So if there was if the match didn't occur in the, the local center, it could communicate within the regions to see if there was some match on another exchange. But that has now changed. The new trading model is that you have G10 traded out of New York. Uh, for EBS, uh, and London will take care, will be emerging markets and NDF liquidity. If you're a user, you have to start thinking about, okay, if I'm not based in New York, but all my G10 trading on primary markets in New York base, how do I connect, right? And how does that impact me, right? Uh, of course, there's the, you know, there's the API conversation of it, you know, actually coding to, to, to the new exchanges and all the work that goes associated with that. Connecting, testing, UAT, running in parallel, full migration. So, so that's an impact. But really from a business point of view, right? And if you're a London bank that wants to trade G10 on EBS, now you have a big latency to New York, latency that you previously didn't have to deal with before. You now have to account for it. Is the business model you know, stayed the same for you or do you need to adjust? Are you making enough money uh, trading G10 and providing G10 to your clients where it's worth uh, both paying EBS for the fees um, as well as having the latency to trade in New York, right? Or do you look locally, right? Do you change your liquidity providers, right? Be because the liquidity landscape really has changed. Similar in New York, if you're an emerging markets or NDF trader, you have the same same problem, right? You're no longer trading locally, but you're now trading out of a London exchange and you have to put the same thought into your business model. So can we go back a little bit and explain these latency disruptions and how do you manage them without having to go somewhere else? To illustrate the point is, you know, let's say you're sitting in New York and you're trading on exchange that is in New York. Uh, you receive market data from that exchange, giving you a signal and you submit an order, right? Based on that market data, that order, the closer you are to an exchange will arrive at the exchange faster. And if the price is still available based on the market data that you read, you will be matched, right? And you will execute it in a trade. If it takes you longer to arrive at the exchange, the data that you have received is no longer relevant, right? It, it, it expired. Market data has changed. Those orders were filled. So your order might not be filled anymore, right? And therefore you're not getting high fill ratios. That is the challenge, right? You don't necessarily need to be the fastest, but there definitely is a time of reasonableness, uh, which you need to consume market data and electronic trading um, and have your orders arrive at, at the exchange. And is this affected, is this a software issue or is this a location issue? It's a location issue. Well, the true answer is all of the above. Right. But we could take some things as given. If everyone has good, strong technology that doesn't introduce latency in code, then what we're left with is latency that is based on distance, purely how close you are to the exchange and how short your line is, your actual physical cable that connects you to that exchange through your ISP and then through or a dedicated circuit, the faster the data will arrive. Now, if you're routing something from New York to London, it's a significantly longer line than it would be from somewhere in New York to the exchange in New York. So let's talk about APIs for a minute. Let's change gears, discuss the evolution of APIs in the market. As we know, the APIs, they support or add functionality to software and platforms, but often too many of them, and we start to see what's called fragmentation. So from your point of view, let's discuss fragmentation a little bit and kind of give us an explanation around that. And then what are your thoughts around this exponential API growth? Like what is too much and how does that really affect the landscape? Uh, FX 
is not a security. FX has less regulation than, than the equities market. Um, and that has led to an environment where every company is able to create their own API. And that API is slightly different. Now, why do we have so many exchanges in, in FX and so many L LPs, right? With no, not standard APIs. Well, that's just the opportunity. That's the size of the market. As an asset class, FX is the largest global market in the world, right? So we do have a lot of participants. As FX was electronifying, it was at an interesting time. It learned a lot of what was previously done in equities because equities came first. And a lot of people saw that opportunity to monetize. And therefore, we saw over the last 15 years, a tremendous number of exchanges or ECNs, uh, electronic currency networks, pop up. Of course, every single bank is also an LP and a participant. And then after that, beyond banks, we saw non-bank market makers come into the market and also uh, act as LPs, right? LPs that were actually able to take more risk uh, internalize more flow, correlate it to, to other asset classes and have their own different view for the market away from everybody else. Because of that, because of the competition, there was never really a need or a driver for standardization. Everybody wanted to be slightly different and it was in their best interest to be slightly different, right? Uh, once you're connected to somebody, right, and you're their LP, you don't necessarily want it easier for them to turn you off and turn somebody else on to, to migrate away, to find new ECS to connect to new LPs. But also within FX, there's also multiple products that we trade. And that's really where the growth became exponential. Not only do we have so many participants, but we also have the products that are trading. And, and the APIs, because they're different pools of liquidity, can look different. Banks will have, for example, banks as LPs could have a specific API purely for spot FX, but they could have a different API if you would like to trade other products like NDFs, swaps. Well, they'll have, instead of a streaming workflow, they'll have an RFQ or RFS workflow, which is request for stream, request for quote. Same thing with the, the ECNs, the pools of liquidity. Each had its own pool specific for that product. And for that product, it had a specific API. And there we really saw the growth go to a completely new level. So it's not just that they're added functionality, they're adding functionality to the firm's software. It's also improving. It's also, I would say it's a differentiator right between you know certain firms who would have a different api mine, mine is faster mine performs a certain way but what can market participants do to manage this fragmentation well it's difficult i mean it, it's 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 a very very difficult problem um they have a couple of options right one is you decide what part of the market you're going to participate in and once you're connected to those liquidity providers and those exchanges you, you don't have a need to connect to anybody else now there's a downside to that right you might be missing out right by not connecting to somebody else you know you don't know what you don't know so it's, it's difficult to, to say that this this is what you're missing and and really the best way to try new liquidity is to connect and to give it a try but that's difficult at this point doing connectivity work is not difficult, right? It has become a commodity. I think the best thing clients could do and traders could do is use third parties as aggregators or purely as professional services to connect them to different markets. Um, and that gives them the ability to try different markets whenever they want. Excellent. Eugene, what is the next area of growth in FX trading technology? Where will innovation come from? And what do you think that will look like? Very interesting question, right? So what's what's next, right? Personally, I think the next step in the evolution is, so we've electronified. Now we trade through algorithms. We, 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 we no longer do things manually. We don't pick up the phone. We don't have somebody sitting at a keyboard typing things in, right? But we still make the decisions. The next step is for the computer to make all the decisions for us. That's really going to come from AI learning. And beyond just making decisions, but also learning and adapting 
as to what decisions to make as you go. So for machine to study the market, study the trades, study clients, study news, be able to take as much input as possible, right? And learn from it, right? And make those decisions faster without having somebody to come in and intervene. Because currently what we have is we have somebody able to write an algorithm, right? And that algorithm performs, right? And after a while, that algorithm can be updated. But for the algorithm to be updated, a developer or a quant will have to go and start thinking about all the other use cases, right? All, all, all of the other scenarios that aren't accounted for and update that algorithm to function as they want it to. What would be really interesting, what I would like to see is for algorithms to update themselves because they can learn significantly faster than we can, right, as, as humans, and they could consume significantly more data than we can, right? And it will take out the human doing the analysis, but the machine will do analysis as it goes. You should be able to update itself you know, within minutes or within hours, you know, within the same day, right? As, as opposed to if we have to do it, you know, this will be a long process, long iterative process with a significant amount of testing. That's where I think the next area of innovation will come from. That will be definitely driven by tech firms. That's where I see money being invested, right? So, so you'll, you'll have your PE and VC money. Uh, banks are a little conservative, right? And I'm sure they would like to be users and I'm sure they would like to participate, but because they're risk averse, they will, they will never be the first movers on this. So um, I, I think we have to watch and to see what fintechs pop up as, as startups and really make traction in the space or become disruptors because that's they're going to be the ones who are driving that change right and they'll have that focus as opposed to somebody in a bank whose mandate is significantly bigger right and their primary business is their biggest concern well innovation though interesting is not their primary objective right it's sustaining the current business i think the last question you asked me is what will lead to this right what are the prerequisites for this innovation you know and, and that's an interesting question i i think we're nearly there it's the ability to have the computing power which we do it will have to become cheaper for tech firms to be able to buy. I, I think we have that computing power available to the likes of NASA or somebody at that scale, but it needs to be more accessible, you know, to to smaller companies, right? That they, they could purchase it and, and use it. Uh, and the second part is 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 faster data because this is all going to be data driven, right? So you need the input to have the output. So the ability to consume all that data, to have that data more normalized, uh, more standardized, will be crucial in taking that next step. So I'm hearing uh, AI, I'm hearing self-correcting code, I'm hearing minimal intervention from people, all in exciting technology for the future of FX trading. Yeah, no, very excited for it. I can't wait to see what comes next. This episode is brought to you by ION. Whatever the size of your business, our FX solutions automate and simplify your trading, risk management, and operations in one easily scalable platform. To learn more, visit us at iongroup.com markets or email us at markets at iongroup.com. Eugene Markman, thank you for joining us today. It's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast. I hope you visit us again. Thank you so much, Ali. It's been a pleasure. And that's our episode for today. You can follow Ion Markets on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you for joining us. Until next time.